0: We have been away for a while Yeah But that is because The real world tends to intrude on things
1: Um, Yes I mean I don't really know what to Say about that Beyond um, The real world happening was that I Had class <laughs> Yes um, Yeah I took Algorithms and computation In the last semester So I Disappeared for, um, basically, basically, there is no. I I really don't know how to explain it. It's like it's like a haze, right? So it's like <laughs> the semester that you take algorithms and computation is the semester that you disappear into, um, a cave, a black hole, a yes. black hole, and then fourteen weeks later you emerge, and it's like things have happened. But <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, there, I don't really know. It's it's an altered state of mind for 14 weeks. That's the best way I can describe it. That's
0: fair, yeah. I think. Um, what did I do this semester? Holy shit.
1: I, I also kind of made the mistake of, uh, during that semester, I also managed to uh, take my first international trip in about two years. Right. That was that. It was right. actually... Okay, so I have no regrets taking the trip. And I don't think I would have wanted to postpone it because there is so much pent-up demand, right? <laughs> From, yes, I'm not using uh, pent-up demand correctly. Yes,
0: travel rebound has been quite the experience, I think, internationally. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, I mean, but I mean on a personal level. Like, just yes. not having travelled for so long, wanting to travel again... I don't think I would have Wanted to postpone it But in many ways It was not very pleasant Because um, I took an exam In the middle of my (laughs) In the middle of my trip And basically I mean all of those things Just added to a very Intense Semester Uh Uh-huh Well
0: I taught This semester And I think You know I've been teaching For the last What now Four semesters
1: uh
0: this has been the most intense and challenging semester teaching ever
1: Why is that?
0: I I mean, I don't want to use this platform to complain but let's just say that I think a lot of the incoming freshmen from the last couple of years uh, or for the the next few years actually are going to be a little bit underprepared for college Um, It's just, you know COVID side effects basically that, you know a lot of places were not equipped for online learning And a lot of students are therefore not super well-equipped for college.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is the thing that, I mean, if you're interested, you can go and look it up. Um, It's all over. I'm sure you can find articles in, you know, your standard New York Times, Washington Post, left-wing liberal media uh, about exactly how... Or exactly what teachers are seeing In classrooms um, At the university level Um, But actually one place that I Read a lot about it (laughs) Is the professor's subreddit Which Oh god
0: Okay to be fair A lot of that is just whining A lot of that is really bad faith Whining A lot
1: of it is whining I mean I have to say In all these subreddits Where it is um, Oriented around a profession Mm. Oh, with some with some exceptions, but um, so our professors, right, is kind of where professors and university level instructors go to vent. Yes. So I am also on our consulting, um, <laughs> which is the, where consultants go to vent, yes. right? And it's like to to put it to put it this way right on on our consulting it is essentially a shit posting sub mm-hmm. there is not really that much like shop talk <laughs> right um yeah. although okay, so going back to um things that have happened since we last podcasted, speaking of shit posting and reddit and professional subs, I just saw a post like yesterday or whatever on 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 our consulting um basically somebody fed in a prompt to chat gpt
0: oh god chat gpt
1: yes yes and we can chat always me. come back to how what chat gpt is doing to your students in a, in a right. second somebody fed in a prompt to chat gpt asking which were like the most um prestigious or well-known consulting firms in the world or something like this um and hilariously Assuming that The screenshot is real And everything right Because yes, Who knows I right mean, Yeah um, Chat GPT produced A list of 10 entries And All the 10 entries Were Bain McKinsey And BCG
0: <laughs> Right
1: No other folks Old school consulting just, groups Just
0: Legacy consulting groups
1: Yes But I think the fact That it is 10 entries or a list of 10 with only three entries, yes. which I I mean, there's so much you can dig into there about how I GPT mean, is being trained for yes, one, but yes.
0: Um, well, I mean, the RProfessor subreddit has been basically nonstop whining about Chat GPT lately, yes. I mean, which is not to, to invalidate the concerns, these are yep. very real concerns. But at the same time, it's like, well, okay, it's becoming a bit of a one-topic subreddit, which is getting very annoying. I
1: yeah yeah. I mean, I think these things come and go in waves. So true, true. When and the ChatGPT thing, it is
0: a problem, and I I do suspect that at least one of my students this semester may have used ChatGPT for at least one of the assignments, <laughs> but you can't prove it, right? So yeah. it's one of those things where. Yeah.
1: Oh my God! Okay, to to kind of um, turn this, well, not turn this. I I cannot English right now, but to kind <laughs> of um, in defense of professional subreddits, there is one that is is a is a great pleasure to uh, listen in on, uh, and that is Kitchen Confidential. Oh Jesus so I Christ, Kitchen highly, Confidential! I highly recommend it. <laughs>
0: oh God! I mean, yes, but maybe don't read the subreddit before you've had a meal
1: um i don't know
0: <laughs> some of actually i mean i are. don't
1: i don't really think i don't really think it's it's too bad i mean okay on the one hand yeah on the one hand it does kind of but you squint a little bit at restaurants <laughs> because there are some there are some um Stories and pictures and whatever like okay the one of the most horrifying ones actually was uh it happened sometime during the hazy period, let's just say um where somebody posted about how their walk in was uh broken the walk- in freezer was broken, oh, and so gosh. the owner cooled the stuff in there using uh I think liquid nitrogen. Oh
0: God.
1: Yep. And <laughs> obviously, <laughs> that is a huge workplace hazard. Yes, and I used lump- to work with liquid nitrogen a lot, yeah.
0: and it is not. I I mean, I am glad I no longer have to handle liquid nitrogen on a daily basis because, you know, you're one fuck up away from losing all your fingers.
1: Yeah I think that was I think that was What it was Then um, Of course You know It's somebody posting Originally It started as a FML My workplace sucks Kind of thing And then yeah. All the responses were like You should 100% Report this This is not safe Yeah And then The person um, You know Like a good citizen Came back with an update And said that You know They reported it and things were being done and things like that, stuff like that. So um yes, there are some horror stories. Yes. But for the most part, I have to say in terms of, you know, professional shit posting, right? For lack of a better phrase, um the kitchen staff are very good at it. Like in in the best way possible. Have I have I have I mentioned food cubes on the on the podcast?
0: I I I don't know, but I just saw one. So yeah, <laughs> okay. So like as down. an
1: example, right? Food cubes, like Kitchen <laughs> Confidential, it spawned a new subreddit called Food Cubes because oh God. all these kitchen staff they are unpacking the produce, right, or the whatever they are. They are unpacking their supplies, right, that they get from their suppliers. And it's packed in cubes or tubs or whatever And so when they unwrap it Or, you know, when they take out The day's um, prepped food Right? That's been stored in a box Or a tub or whatever They turn it upside down on the counter And it comes out in one cube Or cylinder Yes, and it's become a a theme a And it's become a a thing, right? Because... (laughs) a trope Yeah. It's it's become like this, you know, people just take joy in seeing like, hey, look, here is a cube of raw chicken. <laughs> right here is a <laughs> cylinder of strawberries. Um <sighs> yeah. So, I I don't know. I mean, it's an odd a- a- aesthetic, shall we say. It it, it is. It is. <laughs> so, I yeah, I kind of have to say like it gives um there is a kind of professional camaraderie that is not just venting right sure <laughs> which I appreciate okay but back to chat GPT um, <laughs> I mean it is
0: an interesting phenomenon and you know it's it's not the first chatbot to exist but it I think the level of sophistication that chat GPT ag- exhibits having seen some examples is quite scary
1: yes and at the same time, I think there is a big kind of um mis i don't i don't want to call it misunderstanding. so it's not a misunderstanding. I think to some degree is it's a phenomenon that um reveals kind of our own limits of or our own um, biases of perception, right right in right. that the intelligence. Of ChatGPT is kind of illusory. Um, I think, okay, the word that I would use here really is intentionality. Uh, it's mm. not my word, right? It's a word that, well, this is a classic case of the 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 Chinese room. Um, yeah. So there is a, a thought experiment called the Chinese room experiment, right? Which was coined by uh, John Seale... So, CL I don't know how you pronounce his name by the way. S E A R L E. Um and essentially he this this was like I don't know when he came up with it. Seventies, eighties? oh he's still
0: alive, sorry. Just looked up his Wikipedia page.
1: Yeah. But this is a long time ago. Right. Um and this is when people were talking about AI, right? Yes. And um it's kind of like can computers think? And his thought experiment was you imagine that we put a we put a human being in a room okay and in this room the human being is given a rule book that says if you receive this set of Chinese characters right you match up with the rule book and then you return right you give me back you output this response Yeah. And based on the rule book. Based on the rule book, right? And you can have a very complex rule book such that to an external observer, the person inside the room seems like they can speak uh, Mandarin. Mandarin, right? Mm. Mm. Um, but fundamentally, the person inside the room does not understand what is being transmitted through them they can only do the pattern matching yes. given the set of rules and the inputs that they're given. So um, this this is John Sayle's argument that computers are not really intelligent yeah, or they're not intelligent in the way that we think of human intelligence, right? right. Um, it is... Uh, th- th- this is a classic kind of syn- chat GPT scenario, actually. And, I mean, it took decades to manifest in this form, but this is exactly what we are seeing because it seems to converse like a human. We associate intelligence or we ascribe intelligence to chat GPT. Mm. Um, but it is not.
0: No, it's it's definitely not intelligent at all. It right? has it's, it's following an algorithm. It correct.
1: And I, I think... I mean, this... Yeah. What John Sill... Um, the term that Sill used to... Soul. I'm just going to say soul Because I don't know how to pronounce his name The term that Seoul used Was uh, intentionality Which is that If you What's the difference between uh, Putting a native man, um, Chinese speaker A native Mandarin speaker in the box And putting this Non-Chinese speaker in the box With a rule book Is mm. The Chinese speaker has intention Yes Right He understands the intent Of the question And he has an intention In giving the answer whereas right. the one with a book does not they are just following an algorithm. So right. this is a this is exactly what's happening with ChatGPT. People think of that because it because cons- it it converses, right? Like a human that it is intelligent or it has the same kind of intentionality as a human. But it's not it's is an algorithm that's taking itself inputs, doing pattern right. matching very sophisticated pattern matching, right? But still just pattern matching. And then responding and because it matches our preconceived expectations of what we would want a human to, to tell us. Right?
0: Well, I think there are a few things going on here. And and I'm thinking about this mostly in the context of, you know, academic cheating because that's that's mm, yep. <laughs> something I've had to deal with for the last semester. Yeah. Um the I I mean, I I, I completely agree with where you're coming from. But I think, you know, we need to start digging deeper into what these characteristics are that make some of ChatGPT's outputs, you know, uh, uh, how how these outputs could potentially hoodwink people. And one of the things that I think has come up a lot in a lot of the discussions about ChatGPT is that um, it's got very good grammar, Mm. which previous AI chatbots, for some reason, could not master properly. And so that is one of the big, sort of clues that I think a lot of people will use to determine if something is is uh, right. uh, you know honestly written right. intentionally written or, or or dishonestly written but you know <laughs> the so, problem is that this something backfires against students because you don't expect perfect grammar from some
1: students right okay so this is interesting because if you are talking about grammar um, each language has a I okay, so I, I'll I'll have to admit, right, that in my linguistics education I never actually stepped into syntax and semantics. Right. Right. My experience right. is almost exclusively um with phonetics. Um so what I know, I know by osmosis, essentially. Right. Right. Um phonetics and a bit of like semiotics, but that's a different story. So um for any given language Right The set of grammar rules Is relatively finite Right um, And I mean That's the whole thing about You know Generative grammar The idea that You can With a set of With a finite set of rules You can create an infinite set of sentences mm. Of grammatically correct sentences Right Yes um, So in a way training a computer I wouldn't even say training a computer getting a computer to produce grammatically correct sentences is not so much of a challenge um, because there again linguists will distinguish grammatically correct from semantically meaningful right and then beyond semantically meaningful there is another layer which is like is this is this does this make sense In context Does this mm. sound Like a particular Type of speaker That we would expect Right And that yeah. comes into You know Sociolinguistics And pragmatics And so on And so yeah. um, Syntax is Is the grammar correct Semantics mm. is Does it make sense Or what does it mean Does, it, does is it meaningful Then um, On top of that You have tone Register um, Right I, Right, and
0: all of which you know we we as 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 someone who is, has been basically doing nothing but grading the whole semester, right yep. you know as you're reading student assignments, you are assessing all of these things you know very often not consciously, yeah, but um that has often been the heuristic that I use to assess if a student has cheated has plagiarized right, right? right. Uh, I have never used Turnitin because I don't mm-hmm. find it to be particularly reliable, um but usually you can tell when a student has plagiarized. You know, sudden changes in tone right. Sudden changes in grammar Sudden changes in um, just the writing style that right. giveaways that something is going on there That may, may potentially have been lifted from another location
1: Right So I think where ChatGPT has kind of made the leap um, Is that I, I sus- Okay, again, I am not up to date Right, with You know, what's the timeline of developments in um, natural language processing mm. um, But I suspect that Producing grammatically Correct sentences Has not been a problem I suspect it's always It's been the You know How do you get a computer To n- to produce things That a human would find Semantically meaningful mm. So I think that yeah. step Has been challenging So I mean A classic example From linguistics right Of um, the difference Between syntax and, sem- and semantics Right Why a sentence can be grammatically correct and utterly meaningless is is um, colourless green ideas sleep furiously so that has the perfect syntax everything is in the right place but means nothing and if your only inputs are grammatical right and they are based on like tagging parts of speech and things like that it's like mad libs right (laughs) you can always put in something that just makes zero sense or is Utterly comical.
0: Well, I mean, which is something that still I think ChatGPT doesn't do as well for longer form writing. So if you ask mm. to generate an essay, you right. will very often get, you know, grammatically correct paragraphs. But then it will, if you actually critically read it, it's going to sound like complete garbage. Right. Uh, which was exactly what I, I, why I suspect one of my students may have, you know, used ChatGPT to, or at least something similar to that to generate an output because. Um, the right keywords were there, and if you're grading by keywords, you know you, you're you're gonna completely miss it. But right. the, you know when you read it, it's it's nonsensical. And the only reason why I was able to peg it as plagiarism was because whether or not it was a student that wrote it or an algorithm that wrote it, basically there was a stuff up, and it lifted the whole sentence from a blog. Ah, uh, and I was like, ah, okay, well, this is very clear plagiarism. But otherwise, you know, it was it was clearly not original work because. The assignment was write a summary of the reading you know one paragraph right. summary of the reading, and somewhere in that summary was in this essay in this essay we will, which is you know <laughs> you <laughs> uh, clearly therefore not written by the student. It was clearly lifted from somewhere, but I couldn't find an exact instance except for one one sentence fragment that very clearly came from a blog. But it, right. was, it, it, it was very frustrating. Cause I, I, I think it took me about an hour to do some digging into this. And it was like, I could not figure out how this was put together. I was wondering whether or not maybe this was copied from another, you know, a senior's assignment. But it's like, mm-hmm. this reading is brand new. So it can't right. have been lifted from uh, a previous student's homework. A- and at the same time, it's like, it's it's you know, it's, there was something off about it. It was the uncanny valley of writing, shall we say. Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. So I think the the interesting thing is how I I suspect, right, like how ChatGPT is kind of getting around that um, that semantic barrier is that in a sense, it's not, right? It's it's being trained on actual human text. Yeah. Right? And so you will only see... um, I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure how this works, but um, my suspicion is that, you know, it's it's kind of doing some kind of like, you know, proximity matching, um, among other things, right? To say a lot that, of okay, graph
0: theory, maybe.
1: Probably, yeah. A lot of graphs. Um, to kind of say that, hey, this word appears most often in this context with uh, these, these other, other words. words. Yeah. Or this word, when paired with this other word, right or this when it appears in this phrase um is really associated with this other cluster somewhere else yes. in your in your graph and by by doing that right it kind of avoids many of the semantic pitfalls that you might previously have encountered um with a computer model because it's not blindly saying that in this sentence any adjective can go here, any verb can go here, any noun can go here. It's saying that we will heavily prefer certain words, right, in this um, parts of speech class um, that are very heavily associated with the prompt that we've been given, Mm. right? Or with other words that we've already used in our paragraph. I mean, I'm 100% not a machine learning expert, right? Um... Or a computational linguistics or NLP expert. This is mm. all just from what I know of linguistics Injection. and what I know of computers, <laughs> right? But not a computational linguist. Right. So right. Um, that is how it is appearing to you know create sentences. How it's creating sentences that appear meaningful, but inherently it is not. Creating meaning is the human reading it that is ascribing intentionality to whatever the computer has produced. Yes, right.
0: But so, so I mean, and and moving away from the the nuts and bolts that we don't really know about ChatGPT. Yeah. So the challenge now becomes, and this is you know what has been the bread and butter of the our professors' the discussion board essentially for the last week or so. It's that now, how do we design assignments that? you know resist this form of cheating right and and you know some people are saying well fuck it no more take home assignments everything you do on a blue book in class by hand which is I extreme i don't like it yeah. i i don't like it either it could work in some contexts in short form writing potentially but it that's going to eat up so much teaching time yeah. i already struggle you know to find time to to to, to deliver a, a, a coherent lecture right I'm not going to be able to waste any more time in class getting students to do work in class, mm, yep. right? And then the other angle is, okay, how do we design essay prompts and writing prompts that resist, uh, you know, or that 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 will will not uh, that will challenge ChatGPT to produce anything meaningful? Um, yeah, and and I think I don't have an answer to this, right? I am not mm. teaching well. I'm not technically teaching this semester, so I've not had to think about it too much, although I am guest lecturing. You are guest kind lecturing. of teaching, yes. I am guest lecturing. I have to write a lecture this week for a class that I am teaching next week on the history of natural history in Singapore, which uh-huh. is uh, not strictly my field. <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a field in which I have some level of expertise... Um, And so now I'm struggling to figure out How to structure the lecture How to convey ideas Without, uh, number one, being too didactic But also, Mm -hmm. number two um, How to pretend to be a historian When I'm clearly not a historian I'm a natural Mm -hmm. historian I'm a biogeographer Which is very different from a social historian Or a cultural historian (laughs) Right, right (laughs) But yeah, and, and I also have to design assignments. So now the mm. question is, how should we do this? You know, one of the things I want students to, to learn in this course, and this is the second half, my second guest lecture that I'm doing. Um, so the first lecture is on, so the, the course is on museums? S-
1: sorry, oh. just to interject for a second. Speaking of professional subreddits uh, and history and social historians, um, Ask <laughs> Historians. Oh. Ask Historians is um, very good. Oh. So it is good. a subreddit where anybody can ask professional historians history questions. The rule is you can only ask questions about things that happened 20 or more years ago. Okay, okay. Um anything more recent? I think the idea is that they they don't want to commit to an academic consensus yet. Right, which right, makes right, sense. Right. Yeah. And then right. um all top level responses must be um, of an academic standard. So, it doesn't have to be a paper. Gosh, there's peer
0: review in this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, it doesn't have to be a paper length, right? But, right. It, but would it has have to be substantially to be, intellectual. It has to be something that would stand up to scrutiny in an academic setting. Okay. So, they expect cited sources. Oh, my God. There right? Go. Yes. Um, yeah. They expect my <laughs> Depth of knowledge <laughs> right, um, right, right, and right, right Yeah And so the people Who respond Tend to be Academic um, Specialists Not always historians The bulk are historians Right Sometimes you right. get Librarians Anthropologists And so oh, on for as sure. well yeah. um, And it is Extremely Tightly moderated So there is a joke About Ask Historians <laughs> That um, If you go to A fresh Ask Historians post That is maybe Say you know Six hours Or, or younger that all you will see is just comment removed by moderator, comment removed by moderator. Because, you know, yes, people um, either are new to the subreddit and they don't know the rules, or um, there just hasn't been a response that... And also because these types of responses take time, right? So anything that is a super fast response is actually unlikely to be a quality response. And you probably saw somebody giving a throwaway comment and then they were just culled immediately. Right. By the moderator. So, um, extremely good subreddit. Some yes. hilarious questions, um, which I cannot give you the top of my head, but if you just stick around there long <laughs> enough, you get um, incredible questions about.
0: A lot of empty, I mean, a lot of commentless posts, which just that, you know, it's so fresh that people are still crafting a response to it. at, it's, at least.
1: I- Either that or nothing that anyone can come up with on on Reddit has passed master, basically. So I have quite a few Ask Historians posts saved. Let me see if I can dig up some interesting ones Um, right away. But my Reddit is taking a while to load. So, okay. Let's see. Uh, What is that? What is this question? This question... Oh, well,
0: hang on. 51 responses. I am the lowest-ranking international master at chess in 2020. I wake up and find myself in the 1920s chess scene. What am I able to revolutionise in
1: theory? 51 yeah. comments! Yeah, oh. I saw that this morning. So this is one that I saved. Um, 10 days ago, what was Soviet pet culture like? Were dogs <laughs> and cats considered capitalist fripperaries, or were they comrades... Did the planned economy make any attempt at meeting this market? Um, oh. And then, you know, there is an actual answer with right. citations. Of course. <laughs> that, you know, As in the expect. realm of, you know, there is obviously the answer to this kind of question is obviously, well, the consultant's answer is it depends, right? But the historian's answer is yes and no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is
0: such a historian's answer.
1: Yeah. So, so the the top, I mean, the response that I saved to look at it later was this depends entirely on the era you are looking at. Of course. (laughs) So, the years shortly after the revolution, um, yes, cats and dogs were capitalist proprietaries. And um, 30 years and beyond after the, the revolution, they were comrades. So, and then followed by, you know, many citations. So, yes. Um, very good subreddit. Highly recommend. Uh,
0: maybe I should just read the responses and, and model my lecture off of those. Because, I mean, this is the thing, right? I, I you know, I'm, I'm being asked to, to, to deliver a lecture on history and I'm not steeped in the... The, sort of the manner of discourse that historians tend to employ, right? Being mm-hmm. a biologist, I work with empirical data and, and, and you know, broad theory as well. So it's going to be interesting, sort of, um, and also I'm giving a lecture on a topic that is, shall we say, not well studied in the literature,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because this whole idea about the evolution of of, of, of museums, the Politics of Natural History. I mean, it's been discussed before, and there are a few good readings about it, but they're all fairly recent. I mean, right. have, there was one book, in, I think, in the 80s, mostly looking at Western museums. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one book that I'm assigning as a reading, or at least the introduction I'm assigning as a reading, that was written in, let me see, uh, 2009, I think, 2009, mm. called Museums and Empire, which is uh, going to f- form at least the first half of my lecture. But it's a fairly nascent topic, and a lot of which is focused on uh, European, American, uh, Australian, South African museums. But very few uh, papers have or studies have focused on Asian museums, Hong Kong, you know, Asian colonies, Hong Kong, um, um, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, you know, Sarawak, Sabah, and so on and so forth.
1: Interesting. Um, so
0: it's it's going to be challenging, especially since you know, there is so little documentation of what these museums used to be like as well. So I have to figure out, you know, to what extent do I center the, the white narrative, right. right? Which is you know, and, and there's been a lot of recent discourse about this, about you know decolonizing natural history museums mm-hmm. and yep. and how you know mus- natural history has been instrumental in, in racist narratives. Yes, but to what extent does that matter in the context of Asia? Uh, and to what extent can I even comment on this? Because you know, to what extent do we have material that that that, yeah. that points to this in, in the first place? Is challenging uh, and not always available or present, right? Yeah. Um, and then also, then I have to pivot to talk about certainly more recent material, which is the politics of natural history in mm. post-independent Singapore.
1: Interesting.
0: It's in itself very very interesting, but it's also uh, complicated to talk about Shall we say
1: One one question So Your lecture Okay um, I guess this is more to do With the scope of the course So Are you Aiming to survey Everything that you just discussed Is this The Topic of your lecture Or is this the topic Of the course itself
0: No the topic of the course Is called Curating Singapore Oh god okay <laughs> Which is I, I think is a You know it's it's a course I would have taken as an undergrad if it was offered, okay. Right? And it's I, looking
1: at, yep. To clarify, the old god is because yes, because it, everything you just described could easily be a fourteen-week course. Yes, no, exactly. Right. But the
0: thing is, I don't have enough material to stretch those out into a fourteen-week course. Yeah. So I think what I will do, and this is this is, I'm 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 literally workshopping my lecture right now. Okay. So <laughs> okay. give me a break. <laughs> is to. Okay. Is to use the history of the the Raffles Museum slash Lee Kong Chian Natural History yep. Museum as the scaffold to introduce these ideas, right? Yep. Uh, the first being, you know, okay, what is the colonial lens through which natural history was seen, mm-hmm. right? And the colonial impetus for setting up a natural history in Singapore in the first right. place, right? And then, uh, unfortunately, the colonial period have to be compressed. You know, the colonial period is long, right? From the 18- eighteen yes. 1860s-ish, when the museum was first mooted, to the 1930s when war broke out. It's it's a long period of time. But at the same time, I won't have a lot of material or time to really stretch this out to any length of time. In any case, I have one hour to give this lecture, so (laughs) I cannot cannot dilly-dally. So it's the colonial period, then there is the war years, where there's not much to say in terms of the Uh, developing the theme but it's more about how the museum was preserved during the war and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. and then the post-war years uh, which broadly sort of encompass two sections the first is the uh, immediate post-war years and the politics that led to the dissolution of the Natural History Museum
1: Interesting Okay
0: and then the, the sort of the dynamics that led to the revival of the Natural History Museum and so um there are a few sort of key topics I want to, to discuss with the students the first being, you know, okay to what extent does this colonial vision of natural history persist today? Mm-hmm. Right, this obsession with ordering and categorizing the natural world to what extent does that continue to manifest in natural history collections? Uh, mm-hmm. To what extent are natural history collections there merely for Entertainment or for education? This right. is something that matters to all museums, anyway, right? Yes, There's, you know, a lot of hand wringing about. Oh, are we becoming theme parks? It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some museums have to be more theme parky than others. Sure, yeah. you know, I don't see what the 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 the, the belly aching is all about yeah. sometimes. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about also is uh, how does natural history fit into nation building? Mm, right, which right. The government clearly clearly thought in the 70s that natural history had no place in nation building and so that's why right. the museum was dissolved and so I want to and this, this should form a huge chunk of the two hours that I have, the 45 minute discussion time that I have which is I want the students to sort of think about you know or, to debate this idea that natural history is, in, is or isn't integral to nation building, to national identity to heritage and so on and so forth, where does it fit and how does it fit Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's the whole point of this class, curating Singapore, right? yeah. It's how narratives and identities are constructed in uh, museums, particularly, but then also in, like, lived spaces as well. So, urban yeah. spaces and uh, uh, green spaces, which is my second lecture. Right. Um, and the last thing that I, I will try my best to shoehorn, in because this is my area of expertise, it is, <sighs> okay. um, what is the value of scientific collecting? Right. Right. Why collect specimens? Uh, why preserve specimens in the first place? How has uh, scientific collecting changed over time? Right, from right. just curiosities to data that can be used to understand the natural world, conserve a- the natural world, and so on and so forth. And so, in the
1: sense of defining terms, when you say scientific collecting, you mean essentially curation and documentation, but from a scientific standpoint, not oh, from no, no,
0: a- not just that, like actually killing animals. Ah, okay, I see. Right. I see. Because you know okay. people are squeamish about killing, and unfortunately, if you want to do biology, you have to be a murderer. You have to kill, right? Because you can only get so much information about organisms just by observing, by right. non-invasive techniques. And and one of the big things that I think is not sufficiently sort of stressed, and this is something that I was taught as an undergrad, <laughs> uh, undergrad seminar by the director of the museum, then director of the museum, just stepped down of the Lee Natural History Museum. It's like, you know, specimens are still important, right? Collecting mm-hmm. specimens are important. It's not just curating existing specimens, but new specimens can tell you a lot about, you know, how things change over time, right? Uh, DNA... Um, um, looking at pollutant uh, 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 deposition on, on feathers or in tissue, and right. these sorts of things can be extremely valuable in the present day with new te- technologies and new techniques for understanding these specimens. So, I have on paper a lot to cover. The problem is, how do I scaffold this effectively and make this a lecture that is both interesting and I, you know, that something that I will not talk rubbish about, shall we say?
1: Right right I think the other interesting possibility here I mean I'm just this is spitballing I mean I don't know how this stuff works I'm workshopping so yeah I'm I know you're, you're you're workshopping but I think the idea of the thing is um, this is obviously being done for a, a class right but yes.
0: and it's uh, not for history majors it's for university students right it's so for the honours right? Honours it's college.
1: general yeah yeah, um, essentially a core kind of liberal arts core style yeah. class right Yeah, but it also strikes me as if you can get this narrative to a point where it fits um, I don't want to say neatly but you know if you can get it to a concise narrative about an hour like this is potentially a repeatable seminar or lecture right mm, uh, yeah. if if you have an hour to fill where you are expected to Pot-tabic. say something academic <laughs> yes Pontificate <laughs> is is a perfect word for that. Um, essentially, like while this is being given in a class context, this is potentially just the first draft of oh, yeah. a of a, a oh, of a lecture that you can keep in the back pocket.
0: Mm. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is definitely a lecture I'm going to repeat at some point yeah. <laughs> if and when I start, you know, yeah. actually professionally teaching.
1: So, but, incidentally, uh, yeah. you gloss over this but you briefly mentioned the director of the Li Leconnen Museum who just stepped down yeah. um and that would be professor Liotan right
0: no 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 that's Somebody professor else. Peter Ng.
1: Peter Ng. okay i'm not familiar with him because i know Liotan just
0: Liotan right. was the um he was the director of special projects so he, ah. he sort of retired then come back from retirement and then
1: he is officially retired again
0: now he's officially retired again yes he, I, uh, as 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 Prof. Peter Ng said Interesting uh, Prof. Leo Tan will never he, retire He's This man he, cannot sit still
1: he, Yes I don't think he He's retired in the sense That he doesn't Have a job Job Yes But I don't yes. think he'll ever Retire No, retire. no. Yeah no. Interesting Yeah so I don't know yes. I don't know Prof. Peter Ng, Obviously Okay He's he's yeah. a
0: Crustacean biologist He's a, he's a carcinologist um, and, and You know I did, I did a freshman seminar with him um. And it was it was basically what got me clued into all this museum stuff.
1: Interesting. I mean, I know Professor Liu Tan for for other reasons, which we don't have to discuss right now. But um, yeah, so I remember having, um, being at a dinner with him and um, for, (laughs) essentially, that was the time that the Li Kung Chan Museum was about to open, I think.
0: Right, yes.
1: And they were, they had just, um, they were in the concluding stages, I think, of a deal to to get the dinosaurs. Yes. Um. Yeah. And so, for which a is
0: in itself a, a great topic for discussion. Why right. dinosaurs?
1: Right. <laughs> These are not even from here. Exactly. Why did the museum team exactly. feel
0: the need for dinosaurs?
1: Exactly. I mean, um, I I'm pretty sure there's. Some article published somewhere about, you know, the the journey to get the dinosaurs.
0: But Oh, I mean that doesn't I, I know the reason. You know the reason, right? It's spectacle. That's it. It it is. It is. Right? But it's I, all about spectacle.
1: So um obviously you're more well versed in this than I am, but um you can fill in the details. But originally the Raffles Museum had was it a whale? Ah yes. So the, the original
0: Stamford Road. Raffles Museum had an Indian fin whale, which <laughs> one of the readings I'm assigning, uh, written by a, a a historian from the NUS History Department, got it wrong. He said it was a it was a um, he he said it was a blue whale, like a blue was not gonna fit it.
1: Stephen, please. Okay, um,
0: it's an Indian fin whale, and it was on display. You know, um, at the the the, the, the walkway. Right, hanging mm-hmm. above the walkway, which you know the walkway still exists, but the roof has been removed and replaced with glass and so on. At the present-day Stamford Road uh, complex, mm-hmm. um, and it is yeah, it was iconic. Right, taxi drivers, if you told them take me to the whale, they will take you to. And some tax some of the older taxi drivers, you know, will still remember this.
1: So out of curiosity, because I'm having a hard time placing this. Um, where is the Stamford Road Complex? Please don't tell me at Stamford Road. The current Road.
0: National Museum of Singapore. This is the, the ah, whole story, right? That the government okay. said. Okay, so it's it's one of the tempting narratives to say that. Well, the government said, you know what? Fuck natural history. Let's throw everything out. But it's more complicated than that. Oh, historian, <laughs> <laughs> historic voice. Um, it was basically the the reason why the natural history uh, museum, the Raffles Museum, was essentially sh- shut down. Mm-hmm. Was uh, in part due to yes, there were people in government who were ambivalent to this idea of na- of natural history, you know, and the, the idea that natural history was not really important for nation building. Um, but it was also tied up with the bureaucratic um, mismanagement of the science center. Ah. Uh, so the science right. center was mooted as a potential home for the natural history collection. Okay. But then the science center kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And delayed and so in the mess of everything the specimens some of them ended up in cold storage at the science centre some of them ended up at the university and you know uh, some of them was almost going to be thrown away and so it was complicated it was a really complicated time for the museum and it's one of the reasons why the natural history collection was sort of died for a while
1: right right yeah so it's
0: yes you know there is some level of ambivalence there is some level of of you know, high-ranking government people saying, "You know, natural history will, will will tempt people to conserve the environment when we need to be building build, building factories right now." But there is also some level of just all-round incompetence.
1: Right. Okay. Then, okay, let's fast forward. Right. Um, yes. Or, okay, so actually, one one minor point, uh, maybe not so minor. What happened to the whale?
0: Ah, so this was a big mystery and it was a fascinating mystery for a long... We had no idea what happened to the whale. We knew that uh, it, the whale had gone to Malaysia. So this is, also, this is also a very interesting thing. A lot of this, you know, uh, um, um, post-Second World War, post-Independence, it was messy. It was messy as shit, uh-huh. right? So a lot of documents, a lot of material were lost during the war, um, right. especially um, material from things like Sarok Museum... Uh, museum negara in Malaysia mm-hmm. right and uh uh in in, in, in the in the uh, post independence period there was some shuffling of collections as well, and certain things got you know either went missing or were lost and so the the whale you know we we as far as we knew it gone back to Malaysia, but where in Malaysia we had no idea and um the location of the whale was finally discovered, rediscovered uh, by uh, the late Professor Dr Nganki, who just passed away like a few months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, a, she's one of Peter Ng's students, crab biologist as well. Um, and she, I, I, I don't recall the exact story, but basically she just found it at this museum in Labuan. <laughs> it was on display with the vertebrae uh, 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 mounted the wrong way around.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> 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 That's very funny somehow
0: And I think Inquiries were made About Repatriating the, the whale And these inquiries Were rebuffed
1: Which You can't really Blame them for well, I mean, I <laughs> mean
0: <laughs> But yes yeah, so, I mean so it, that, In the
1: first place It's like You know It ended up here Because <laughs> you guys Didn't want it So
0: no, No I don't think it's not We didn't want it It was Complicated, was,
1: was, <laughs> the historian coming out again. Okay,
0: it's complicated. But in, in in any case, yes. So it's now in Labuan It's still on display. Last I last I heard, with the um, vertebrae the right way around. No, wrong way around. Still. Oh my god. I think okay. I don't think anyone's bothered to to. I don't think it's even in the natural history. Museum. I think it's in the maritime museum or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, so yes. So, the the dinosaurs actually makes a really interesting discussion point, right? Which is. Um, what is the 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 value of spectacle mm-hmm. in any museum in any yep. m- you know Natural history especially yeah right and and the 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 line of reasoning that that at least i heard from you know the horse's mouth mm-hmm. professor leotard professor Ping, is that every museum has a star specimen yep right whether it's you know you go to the field museum and it's sue the t rex you go to the mm-hmm. M&H and it's the freaking Brothosaurus or whatever yep. what, not Brontosaurus, uh, whatever sauropod is in the, the grand hall you know, right. three stories high, right every museum has a main draw, and right. so the Kong Chen Museum needed a main draw, and nothing draws an audience better than dinosaurs
1: yeah it's yeah. very simplistic thinking, but it, it, it makes sense, it makes sense and I think then it, it I mean, it comes down to that, you know, the theme park theory of museums, right? Or the theme park review right. of museums. Uh, which again, as you mentioned, is not an either-or, right? Because if you can no. get people through the front door, then That's half the battle won. Yeah, correct. <laughs> then now you have an audience for yes. all the other stuff that you want the museum to do. Exactly um, right. So I'm not opposed, right, <laughs> to the idea <laughs> of... Uh, you know, to the idea of having a centrepiece. And it's not just natural history museums that do this. All museums do it, which All I think, museums do yeah, this. Yeah, you're definitely right. aware of. The Louvre, famous... Exactly. You know, all, I mean, like, that's the example, right? Of Right. You know, like, everybody goes in to see the Mona Lisa and just ignores all the other stuff. Yes. Yeah, right. That's I, I, I mean,
0: I've been... I which I think it was just at like MoMA.
1: Mm-hmm. And everyone was staring at the Van Gogh. Everyone is... Everyone goes there for Star Unite. And meanwhile, there's like a humongous you there know, is Monet like a freaking, on the top floor. The,
0: the Monet is just next, the next gallery over, and yeah. nobody was nobody there. Nobody had there. the Whole Monet gallery to myself, like wall to wall Monet, yeah. right? You know, I mean, people underestimate how
1: big these Monet
0: pieces are. They're
1: huge. It's humongous. I mean, it's humongous right? to the point. It's a logistical nightmare. Like I always wonder, like how yeah. do they, how do you physically, you know, transport these things? Right? But, yeah. And
0: so, so okay, I, I, I will, we are running out of time, but I will digress, right? The Monet's and the Magisterial Scale and, the, you know, the Impressionism I get. Rothko's, I do not get. Um, okay. Magnificent Waste of Space. Now, now
1: we, are, we are coming into, way into, you know, this is another hour of discussion. And
0: it's a hot take, <laughs> but we can, we can discuss this at a different time. But anyway, so, so yes,
1: Spectacle. And, and just the, so for the for the record, like I'm not really into Rothko, but yes.
0: Okay, and 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 the, the 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 funny story, of course, is that you know, two or three years after the museum opens with the dinosaurs beautifully mounted and you know very beautiful, very with the vertebrae the right way round, with the vertebrae the right way round, a whale shows up there in Singapore, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we ended up. Spending a lot of time getting that whale and it's now on display in the museum as well. So now we have two centerpieces, shall we say. That's good. Yes. A sperm whale, even better than a fin whale. Bigger (laughs) than a fin whale. It's six meters long.
1: So it's an, I mean, it's a natural evolution of when you have a a living museum, things get added to it.
0: Right, right. Oh, you got to find space for it. But <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> but yeah. So that's. I mean, this is a really interesting. I mean, th- it's certainly a topic for for discussion, right? What is the, the 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 boundary between spectacle and 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 education, shall we say? Yeah. In 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 any museum, and it's it's something that will cut into museum practice, which is not really what we want to do, right? The whole. I mean, the course is curating Singapore, so it's about the the identities and the politics and everything, right? But. I will veer a little bit into into some of the the you know the, the, the core museum practice questions as well, the museological uh, uh, realm, because you know it's it's going to be a lot of what we discuss in the course anyway
1: right I mean you kind of can't really separate those two things because I mean when you t- talk about curating Singapore, you are talking about people who have actually made those decisions right yeah. and they are not just coming at it from the point of view of national identity and all the considerations we just talked about but also whatever the current active context of you know museums around the world is Right as and well. Well,
0: bear in mind also that the Leikong Natural History Museum was designed by an international museum design firm which I worked for as well but after the project on right. a separate project so it's you know, it, i have interesting sort of connections to this as well. Also, the, the the lead instructor used to be at the VNA, so she has some interesting perspective as well.
1: VNA meaning Victorian Albert uh, Museum. Yes, the Victorian Albert Museum. Which Maybe is one. another very interesting museum. Yes. I mean, but she's an art
0: historian and she's mostly gonna be talking about art history. Right. Um it's interesting because the two on-campus museums in, in NUS and the National University of Singapore are literally the two oldest museums in Singapore. The uh, NUS Art, uh, Art NUS Museum used to be the University Art Museum, which is I think the first, what the second ever museum in Singapore. And the Lee Kong Chian Natural History Museum was the Raffles Museum, which was the first museum in Singapore. So it's like,
1: whoa. <laughs> I mean, I in a sense it's not surprising because where do museums get housed? They almost universally end up under the auspices of a university or a government.
0: Uh, Yes, but it's then interesting that the two oldest museums in Singapore are not sort of national institutions, but they are university institutions, right? right? That's right. And and uh, you know where, therefore, what role do they play in nation building? Do they play a role in nation building at all, or why is it that they have not been formally integrated into the nation building narrative? Right, and that is, I think, you that's know, also, it's it's yeah. it's it's I think ripe material for discussion, but it's not something that I necessarily have the best uh, uh, theoretical grounding in, shall we
1: say? Right. Okay, I think that's coming up on time, so uh,
0: uh, <laughs> we didn't talk I about mean, Pokemon, which good, uh,
1: <laughs> good. I mean, I, I'm sure we'll stay online and we'll talk about Pokemon, but um, as far as the podcast is concerned, I think this is. I don't know if I would say on it's on brand. On on brand, yeah. Um, <laughs> on brand. Um I'm not necessarily opposed to talking about Pokémon on the podcast, but I feel like this topic <laughs>
0: there are probably, other experts available on this topic.
1: Uh on on Pokémon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, of that I have no doubt, but I I'm thinking more of like, you know, I I feel like the Pokémon discussion is potentially has a lifespan. Yes, that Whereas that too. what we talked about is is a lot more uh, enduring, which may matter if we don't make another episode for like a say, few
0: months. I should say, one thing that apparently ChatGPT has proven very good at is writing code.
1: Um. Okay. So I've heard. I've heard this, uh, and of course, I have thoughts on it. I have not. Tried oh yes, it. you
0: have. I'm sure you do. Yes.
1: Uh, I have not tried it. Uh, okay. I will say, for work purposes, it's not permitted because sure. we do work for clients, right? So yes. You need ownership over the code that's produced uh, But Sorry, I just uh, saw In the
0: context of, the context of R code like, So R. academic R code writing
1: Right So I, I saw an interesting toot Toot, of course, toot. being uh, Not a tweet Mastodon Yeah um, I saw an interesting toot From Marcus Hutchins this morning Okay Marcus Hutchins, of course, being the person Who stopped the WannaCry ransomware attack Yes Um, So He commented that um okay let me find it let me find it it is no nope 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 okay he said chat gpt being able to write malware is very concerning for cybersecurity oh wait 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 listen listen to the whole thing ChatGPT being able to write malware is very concerning for cybersecurity. If you missed like the entire history of malware and don't know that GitHub exists, <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. Which, yes,
0: <laughs> that's right. But I mean, okay, it, 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 I mean that's obviously in the context of you know finding novel exploits. But in the case of like, hey, I just want to automate. I I want code that does something very specific, right? That automates the process uh, Apparently chat GPT does a pretty decent job At writing R, R code That does this So I fair mean I've not done it I've not tried it myself But make of it what you will I think Someone has even turned this Into a uh, Like a uh, turn real text Into R code Sort of uh, Tutorial thing To teach people right. How to use R Which fair, fair play I
1: think it's a good idea Right so I mean yes as you can imagine I have thoughts about this but we are coming up on the hour so Yes We can talk Let's about this Next Next, year. M- next month <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> I-, I say optimistically We will see Yes Alright this is episode 34 of... 34? Uh, 34, 34 yes. Somehow we made it to 34 despite like I, I not podcasting like for months on end. I know. Um, this is episode 34 of Monkey Mind. You can find the show notes at monkeymind.xyz slash 034. I think that is correct. Yes. <laughs> um, because I've not done this for like four months. So, uh, And we will see you sometime soon-ish. Goodbye. Goodbye.